Uh, we're going to be looking at it. Uh, when the internet was young, and I was young, <laughs> um, I had a blog. I, I don't know if you've ever entertained that sort of thought of having a bit of a blog. I had a blog, and one post I wrote um, actually got a, a fair bit of interaction with this one fellow. Um, he made some comments about what I wrote, and I made some comments back, and we chatted away. And partway through the conversation, I just had this moment where I thought, I've got to ask him. So I, I, I asked on the comments, do you believe in God? Because I just wasn't sure from what he was saying. And it was interesting, he, didn't want to, he said he didn't want to say yes, and he didn't want to say no. Because uh, he didn't think you can make definitive statements about a being as awesome and other as God. Um, he, he just felt that words are inadequate. If we can't describe God, therefore, why on earth would we claim to believe in him? Here's what he wrote uh, as part of the comments. It isn't that I don't believe in God, but I'm reluctant to be so arrogant that I can be confident in a particular definition of God. If I said I believe in God, but I can't define it, then what have I actually declared? I'd have said absolutely nothing. Do you see the problem? To say you believe in God means to say you believe one definition is right and others are wrong. Now, I actually want to suggest to you, I think this guy's got a point. There's a real problem when we humans try to talk about God. Now, just indulge my geekiness for a moment. Um, I have a real fascination with quantum physics at this moment in my life. And uh, I just think it is mind-blowing when you start to get into it. So the particular thing I've been exploring lately is the idea of quantum particle entanglement. Now, if you haven't heard of it before, you take two quantum particles, like two electrons, right? And somehow you get them entangled so that what's true of one, the opposite is true of the other. Now, in, if you have an entangled couple of particles, you can actually separate them. You can take them to the opposite ends of the universe. And if you do something to that particle, then this particle instantaneously changes to reflect that. That the information can travel infinite distance in, in infinitesimal time. I, I, that's just weird, that is mind-blowing stuff, and, and I don't really understand half of it, and I don't blame you if you don't either, but my point is, I don't fully understand quantum physics, and God made quantum physics. So, if I struggle to understand quantum physics, how can I begin to describe the God who made them? How can I say I know Him? How can I say I know Him in relationships? Surely I should be humble and just shut up. Um, uh, have a look at what this guy said in his next paragraph. Mine is not an agnosticism out of a rejection of God, but out of humility in my own human understanding and a realisation that language is tenuous. Saying that I'm agnostic is not a criticism of God, it's a criticism of me. I think this guy gets something. If there's a God who made the universe, he is far bigger than me. Uh, how dare I put God into my little box? I, I think he's making a good point. And that's why I like the book of John. Because John faces this problem head on. How can we, mere humans, claim to know God? What gives us the ability to trust him? And John doesn't waste time pointing towards the answer. Uh, it's right at the start of his book, in these opening verses, John takes us to the problem of knowing God and he, he actually turns it on its head. So yes, people 
aren't able to understand God. That's, that's perfectly right. We have no hope of peering in and seeing God or natural, seeing God in the raw. But John claims God has solved the problem by making the journey the other way. We aren't like God, so God became like us. God revealed himself as we are. He's communicated in our language. And so it is possible to truly know God. We're going to have a look at the, how this amazing book begins. And, but just to set us up for how to understand it, what I, I first need to acknowledge is that these opening verses of John are just unusual, aren't they? Uh, that, uh, the rest of the book of John is a story, it's history about Jesus' life, but these opening verses, they're abstract, they're full of concepts. Um, and so they hint at a whole range of ideas, but they don't stop and explain all that much. Um, people, as I said, call it a prologue. I reckon the best analogy is a movie trailer, and that's how I'm going to approach it. So what I thought I'd do, hey, why don't I tr play a movie trailer, and we'll have a look at how a movie trailer works, and that way I can show you how I think John is doing something similar. So let's give this a shot. I hope the, the technology plays itself right. Everything except the sound. Oh, that'd be disappointing. So the movie is Inside Out, if you've seen it. It's all about um, these little people inside of our heads that uh, reflect our various emotional capacities. There's joy, there's sorrow, there's anger, um, there's disgust, and there is fear. Uh, and so the, our various emotions are represented by these little people, and they respond to the world outside. And by sort of taking this, they sort of help us understand ourselves. And particularly, they focus on this little girl who's taking a journey, she, her family's decided to move house and she's going through the trauma of the experience. How about I pray and we'll get into John. Even if you don't get the, the uh, trailer, I'm sure we can get John, uh, plenty of out of John. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, please help us now as we go into John to see the wonder of what you've done, uh, to be amazed at uh, what Jesus is for us and how he makes knowing you possible. And I pray that it would give us great confidence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so like a good movie trailer, John's uh, introduction begins with a familiar context. In this trailer, what happens is that Inside Out, it's dealing with something we're very familiar with. It's the, the world of this pre-teenager, this little girl and moving house. We've, we've sort of familiar with that experience. Some of us have done it. Some of us have watched others go through it. But the twist in the movie... It does that by looking at these little people inside someone's head. It's a different take on a familiar problem. John opens with a familiar context. Have a look at your, your Bible. He starts with these phrases, in the beginning, and God. He mentions light and life. It's very clear he's thinking Genesis 1. He's thinking creation. It's straight from the start of the Bible. But there's a twist. 
uh, this new perspective because thrown into this mix is the Word. And that's very confusing because, yes, we remember from Genesis that God created by speaking, but Genesis doesn't mention a, a capital W Word. John makes the Word personal, a, a being with God. So it's a familiar context from a new perspective. Have a listen to these first verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. So John affirms the Jewish worldview. God made the world. Uh, he made it by speaking. God is a source of both light and life. These, these are just really important claims about God. I, I need to point out, if, if these claims are true, then it's so important to know God because He is the source of the world that you live in. If you want to make sense of your life, this is the person to know. And notice He's saying it's a purposeful universe. God's God is a rational being, being who can speak and He spoke with purpose. This world is not the, the, an accident by chance. It's not a, a bunch of random happenings. This is the work of an intentional being called God. And yet at the same time, John says something unexpected to any Jew. That there was a word who was both God and yet distinct from God. God made the world, He made it through this Word, who somehow is a distinct person. It's intriguing, isn't it? it? It makes you want to read more, just like a good movie trailer. And it's when you, you get that taste of wanting to read more, that's when the crisis hits. So in Inside Out, joy and sadness disappear from this girl's life. They, they get lost in her long-term memory and they have to make this huge journey back. And... and um, and she's, the girl, in, is reflected, is losing contact with her key emotions. That's the crisis. John's crisis is even more serious. Because God's creation doesn't recognise its creator. God says, let there be light, and his creation goes, huh? Have a look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness... But the darkness has not understood it. John goes further. Uh, God's sent the light. He's even sent a witness to prepare the way for the light, to draw attention to him. But all he gets from the creatures is this vacant stare. Incomprehension. Verse 10. He, the light, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Now, for a Jew reading this book, that's a pretty orthodox statement. It's the story of the Old Testament. You know, uh, Adam ate the fruit. Uh, people built the Tower of Babel. There's the same story again and again. Um, God, people keep ignoring God. In fact, that's the purpose of Israel. That's why God chose Israel uh, as a, a nation, was to be this bridge between God and people, to, to, to somehow mend this situation and he, God gave them his law, he revealed himself to them in the prophets, which makes verse 11 so surprising. Because even Israel didn't recognise this light. God the Word came to his own, his own people, his family, his household. 
But instead of accepting him, they rejected him. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I mean, this is bad. This is really bad. I I can change a washer. um, I'm no handyman, but I can do some basic stuff. I know at the point which I'm licked, that's not the end of the game. I just need to call a plumber. And I get the plumber in and he's going to be able to solve the problem. It's when the plumber turns up and he has a look at the, pl- uh, the, the piping and goes, oh, that's different. Then I know I'm in trouble. Uh, then I know that even the expert somehow isn't up to the job. Well, we know we make the mess of the world. You know, environmentally, socially, crime and justice, people often get it wrong. But we have this deep hope that if we had enough information, if, if, we, if we knew enough, we could get life right. It's basically what our world is, is built on, our society is built on. That's why education is so important. And yet when God gave Israel enough knowledge, he gave them his law, he sent them prophets to tell them about this one who was coming, he fully informed them. But they weren't able to recognise God when he turned up. That's saying it's not a question of a lack of knowledge, there is a heart problem here. There is a heart problem in every one of us, because let's not be racist, let's not think that we're different to the Jews. Just like the Jews, there is something wrong with us that when we encounter our Creator, we don't recognise Him, or if we do recognise Him, we just don't want anything to do with Him. The Creator of the world enters creation and He's done it, and the world goes on regardless. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and for most people, it's like it never even happened. Most people completely ignore Jesus. But we tell ourselves we're okay with God. You know, that, that if there's a God there, he'll like us. Uh, maybe even that we say that we believe in him. It's just that most of us don't talk to him all that much. Uh, we struggle to read the Bible. I, I'm assuming that we do try and read the Bible. Um, and, you know, church, it's nice. It's a nice experience and everything, but you don't really need church to know God. We, we tell ourselves all these stories... If we're really honest, we're saying that God is not a major player in our life. You know, he's there, we'd like to acknowledge him, but he's not a major player. Look, there are some relationships that are just too important to have that sort of distance in them. So if I told you that I haven't spoken to my mother for 10 years, I have, don't worry, but, but if I'd said that I hadn't spoken to my mother for 10 years, that's not indifferent. That is evidence that there is a conflict, there is a problem there. If we don't interact with the God who made us, if we go about our lives as if he's not important, there is something fundamentally wrong in that relationship. There is a crisis. And that's what Jesus came to fix. And and that's where John goes in the last part. He gives us a hint of the resolution. Uh, In Inside Out, we we get this sense that Joy is a positive thinker. Um, Joy says, you know, we've got to be positive. And uh, Sadness goes, I'm positive, we'll never make it. But they do, because Joy just keeps pushing on. And John hints in this, th- that there is a resolution to this crisis, and he thinks it's fantastic. In fact, he thinks it's so good, he, he scratches around for the second best thing he could imagine to say that this is even better than that. So John thinks of the Exodus. When God rescued Israel, when when he even revealed himself on the mountain to his people, he makes connections to that and says, you know what, when Jesus came, it was even better. 
Have a look at these verses. Um, First of all, in the Exodus, only Israel was God's son, right? Um, Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my son go. Well, now, when Jesus the light came, anyone can be God's child, and it's simply by believing. Have a look at verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's amazing. Another amazing thing happened in the Exodus. God camped with his people. He he set up this tent, this tabernacle, so that he could live amongst his people. And they would be his people and he would be their God. But now, the word has lived among us. He's put on our flesh, a body like ours. Have a look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling. You could actually read that as set up camp. The Word set up camp in flesh amongst us. Better than the Exodus. And there's still more. During the Exodus, God revealed His glory to Moses. You know, Moses gets hidden in the crack of the rock and God passes by and He reveals His nature to to Moses. How does He reveal Himself? Uh, Exodus 34 says, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness or truth. That's how God revealed himself. God revealed himself as gracious and truthful in the Exodus. And then you look at the end of verse 14. And Jesus also came, not only with glory, but full of grace and truth. Same language. And then John goes even further by verse 18. He acts like the, the, the God revealing his glory to Moses never even happened. He says that no one has ever seen God, not even Moses. Have a look at the verses. No one has ever seen God, not even Moses, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You can truly know God's glory by looking at Jesus. In a more amazing and fantastic way, than even Moses' experience when when God's glory passed by in the rock. That's a huge claim. That's the resolution to our crisis. There's this gaping gap between humans and God, but God has stepped in and revealed himself. The Creator has intervened. He's entered history. And he's done it in our flesh. And I reckon that means we have got to listen to this book. Just like a, a good trailer urges us to, to watch the movie, we have got to listen to this man, Jesus, because we can actually genuinely know God through him. See, I understand my blogging friend. I really understand. I, I get that most people are cautious about claiming we can know God. History is full of people who make up their own opinions about God. We do it daily. Uh, we do it when we, we decide that we're religious enough. You know, uh, I don't go to church every Sunday, but, but I turn up a bit, and I reckon God's going to be pretty pleased with that. Um, we do it when we decide that we're pretty good people. You know, uh, that if there's a heaven, God will probably let us in, because we haven't really murdered anyone. And, you know, we give our... I, I check the statistics. Apparently, average Australian gives $400 a year to charity. I think that's incredibly small, but most of us seem to think that's quite a reasonable number. And we we point to that and say, well, God's going to be pretty happy with us, isn't he? I I want to even gently suggest we make up our own God when something bad happens in our life and we use that as evidence that God doesn't exist. Have you had that conversation? 
where someone says, you know, such and such a thing happened in my life and that was the day I decided there is no God. Can I suggest to you in that moment, what you're saying is that you've looked at all the evidence that God has. You know the world at the sort of level and scale and all the details and possibilities and options that exist in this world. And you're claiming that you looked at those situations and you reckon you knew that God made a mistake at that moment. I think you're making your own God. I think you're claiming to know more than God to make a call on him like that. Now, if there really is an all-powerful, all-knowing, good God, He is going to be so much bigger than any one of us, the idea that we can work out God for ourselves, it's actually nonsense. In fact, John says it's worse than nonsense, it's sin. It's rebellion against our Maker. But here's where my blogging friend got it wrong. If, if God has made Himself known, if God has done something that that both saves us and reveals himself to us, something more impressive than the Exodus, something way more wonderful than than God acting. Like, I would have loved to have been part of the Exodus. That would have been a huge moment in my life. And Jesus is something more than that. That means it's not humble to be agnostic about God. It's actually also sin. Just saying that you can't really say anything about God when God's revealed himself that's actually just thumbing your nose at God see here's the thing I, I may not be able to know everything about God but I really can know him God has made that possible the, the analogy I'd use um, I, I have a PhD engineering background if you didn't guess from the earlier quantum physics stuff um, I can tell you all the, the, the equations that need to be calculated. If you want to take a, a... if You can know the trajectory of a ball and it's coming towards a bat and you want to hit the... I can tell you all the equations that need to be solved to predict where that ball would go. It's complex. There's lots of them. Frankly, I can't solve them all. I can just tell you them that they're there and that's what they are. It's too complex for me to solve. It's too complex for most mathematicians to solve. And yet, even a 10-year-old can hit a ball with a bat. They don't know everything about what's going on in that moment, but they really know how to hit a ball where they want it to go. You can have real knowledge without having comprehensive knowledge. And that's the story with God. We don't know everything about God, but because He's made Himself known, we really can have a relationship with Him. We can genuinely know God and relate to Him. That's the claim that John's making here. So you might be here today and, and you're actually a bit ambiguous about whether you know you know God. You're not sure whether you can really know them. I, I reckon the invitation here is to get to know Jesus. Because if you get to know Jesus, you will see what God is really like. You'll see how he solves this problem of, of this inability of the human heart to recognise who God is. And you might actually be surprised... So whether you're an established Christian or you've walked in off the street and you have a few questions, uh, this term, I'm, I'm wanting you to come along on this journey and meet Jesus so that you can know God and know you really know Him. So I, I want to encourage you, turn up on Sundays, come along to sermons, get involved in a home group where you can really dig into these passages and discover more of Jesus. Uh, you may even want to just read the book for yourself and, or even sit down 
with somebody else who knows a bit of the Bible. I'd be more than happy to catch up with anyone who has these sorts of questions and wants to be sure that they know Jesus. I'd, I'd love it. We can catch up with weekly for a period of time and we can read the Bible and any questions we have, we can explore. Because God is not someone you can put in a box. I mean, let's, let's not pretend that he is some small God that I can control. But he is someone who reveals himself as full of grace and truth. He's a God worth knowing. And you really can know him. You can even be his child if you'll trust him. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can genuinely know you through Jesus. Thank you that you have revealed yourself and you haven't left us in the dark. Help us to listen as we read John together this year, this term. Help us to observe Jesus. And as we observe him, help us to genuinely know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.